to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another uh, episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Foyt, and we've got an interesting show today. Uh, We've got two guests today, and we're going to be talking about something I didn't think I'd be talking about, waste management. Uh, Some people might be smirking, but uh, I think this is rather interesting. Uh, Our guest uh, provided us uh, with some really uh, interesting documentation and information on what they do and how they're building their program. I think uh, a lot of listeners out there are going to find this rather enlightening because it's not something that you you actually think about. We all think about our laptops and you know mainframes and you know and our facilities, but not a lot of us think about you know utilities uh, and you know waste management and and related items. So this is going to be enlightening for a lot of people, I think. So I'd like to introduce uh, our guests. We have two. Our first guest is Julia Halls. Am I going to say this right, Halsney? Halsney, that's it. Halsney, great. Julia Halsney is responsible for the business continuity program at East Bay Municipal Utility District. And our second guest is Nelsie Rodriguez, who is the information, uh, sorry, the public information representative at uh, East Bay Municipal Utility District business. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you're located around the San Francisco area, Oakland area, correct? Right, right. Okay. Um, we're, yeah, we're in Oakland. We we um, operate from Cro- Crockett to Oakland, so everything between the Carquinez Bridge and the Bay Bridge. Oh, well, I only know one of those bridges. Familiar with the area. <laughs> <laughs> we we serve uh, about uh, three point four million customers in the in the East Bay, so we're one oh. of the larger utilities for water and wastewater. Okay, so Julia, let's start with you. Could you tell us about yourself, your background, and um, what you've done, and how you ended up where you are today? Sure. So, so I um, actually started out. My education is in chemistry. I have a degree in chemistry and a, a master's in environmental science, and started in the environmental industry for about fifteen years, and then I transitioned over to water and wastewater, working in our laboratory there, and. Um, as a part of our internal development um, program, we had a study program where you could apply and they would assign you a special project as a part of that. And the special project that I got assigned was business continuity, which I, I knew about emergency preparedness and um, that kind of stuff, but I didn't know about business continuity. So they sent me to a training class. And I was responsible for looking at our program as it existed, what the industry standard was, and then making recommendations to go forward. And one of the things that I recommended after the project was over was they needed a full-time permanent person that could coordinate business continuity. And they said, well, that's nice, but we can't afford that. It's not in the budget. And so I went back to my regular job. And then, um, sure enough, within a year, they said, well, maybe there was something to that. So they... um, advertised for that position, I applied for it, and I got it, and I've been in that position for 11 years now. 
Um, it's fairly unique on the water and wastewater side. You see it more um, on the private sector all over because um, business continuity has been around since Y2K. But on the water and wastewater side, we don't see it as often. Um, the, you will see it at the city and county level and the state level, but not in a, a water or wastewater agency as much. So it's fairly rare. So you'd be careful what you wish for. See, you got to <laughs> plan forth and you got stuck with it. <laughs> well, it's fun. It's actually it's really interesting work and challenging and uh, plays to all the things that I love to do. So... Um, yeah. That's kind of great. That's why I like it. It's always challenging, always something new. Nelsie, how about yourself? You know, tell us how you got to where you are and um, how how you made it to. Uh, um, I got to say the whole name right: East Bay Municipal Utility District. <laughs> sure, you can call us East Bay Mud for short. Um, my career path: I started. At, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in journalism and a master's in creative writing. So. My first career was as a print journalist where I did cover water utilities, but from the outside, I only really focused on utilities when they were raising rates. Um, And then I moved back to the Bay Area. I was in Southern California. I moved back to the Bay Area and took this position as a public information representative. So now I address the public through the press, the website, and um, social media and publications on everything that occurs in the utility. And it is phenomenally interesting. We have so many issues. We tackle so much in California that there's never, never a dry, dull moment. <laughs> well, you've got, you've got the uh, fires still going on out there, don't you? No, right. we do. There are still. Uh, well, hopefully uh, nobody listening is affected by that because I've been watching that and that looks uh, rather scary out there. Yeah, we had nearly 150 employees who live in those areas who um, may not have been evacuated, but have definitely been affected. So we've been watching them very closely. We also sent mutual aid to help Napa. Oh, actually, it was Santa Rosa we sent to. So that that brings up an interesting point. I'm going to start asking my first question now. Mm -hmm. If you've had 150 employees affected by the fires, how has uh, East Bay Mud, you know, dealt with that like have you let them just go or you know what what kind of things have you done on your end communication wise the business continuity you know when employees are short you know how you keep things going what have you done at your end on on that we have a lot of experience with that um this isn't the first rodeo so to speak (laughs) um we had the butte fires as well that impacted our employees and actually that was significant in that um our whole management team for one office was impacted by that. They were evacuated and out of communication, and they actually did have to activate their business continuity plan for that office. But um, in addition to that, the district looked at how could we support those people, because here were some people that actually lost their homes and only had the shirts on their back when they left. And so we've come up with a standard of care that we provide to the employees about leave so that they can handle that um, and then um, what kind of benefits we can provide to them so that that way they can take care of those personal issues and resolve them. So those are some yeah, of the things that we do. Oh, um, I can add that we also have a, an employee credit union um, where employees are able to open um, funds on behalf of someone so that we can all kind of pitch in financially to help our 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 colleagues 
Well, that's nice. You know, it that, is. That, it's that it's that a really wonderful shows, benefit. Yeah, that really shows teamwork. That's right. So under those situations, how, how did you communicate with these people? You know, if they're evacuated with a with just their shirts on their back, you know, how, how did you get the message out to them? You know, or was it already out there? So they knew how to contact and what to do and, you know, what what they could expect from East Bay Mud. So during the Butte fires, I actually was um, one of the first people to reach out to the employees whose whose homes were burned to the ground. And it was just at that moment, um, although the land lines and the, all the land equipment had been affected by the extreme smoke, um, cell phones were still usable. So I was able to reach them or leave the messages on their cell phone. And it did take them time to get back to me um, to, to check in. But um, eventually they, they were able to get back and did say, you know, you were the first one to reach out to me. How do I get help? And so um, we also have as one of our um, employee benefits um, an assistance program. So we were able to connect them with um, this hotline where they can get grief counseling. They can also get financial counseling to figure out how they can start to put their lives back together. Um, and then as Julia mentioned, we had the, the wonderful leave that allowed them time and you know pressure off of having to get back to work to um, start addressing the rebuild. Um, but Julia, I'm sure you can talk much better to our Marconi system, which is what we would use in, in real emergencies. So we Marconi do have system? A, yeah, we have, we have two programs that we use. Um, one is an internally developed program, Marconi, and the other is an emergency notification system. So we can blast out to all our employees all their, con- you know, email, personal and work and phone and cell phone and send out a blast text as well. Um, and that would be what if we had a regional disaster, say, or a major disaster that we needed to get information out to all district employees. We have 1,800 people. This is the system we would use to reach out to them and give them information. And then our Maconi system is a system that we use to check in so they can provide situation status. So we may activate. We're disaster service workers, and we may need to call people in to uh, respond to an event. And, but um, maybe they can't. Maybe their spouse is in the hospital or they're dealing with their own emergency because of what's happening in their personal situation. So they can report their status through the system Marconi and tell us their ability to report or they're in route or whatever they need to do so that that way we can account for people. Our goal is to, in an emergency, have a full accounting of all our staff within 48 hours. So one system is like a call out and the other one is a call in. Right, right. right. Where you mentioned, you know, you had everybody's contact information. I, I'm, I'm just curious. Did you have any problems or pushback with people wanting to provide, you know, their personal emails and, and numbers like that? Because I'm asking because I've encountered that and still encounter that all the time. People don't want to give that. So did, was that a challenge? It, it comes up every once in a while. Um, but it's onesie twosies. It's not um, a large number of people. But one of the things is when, so we're part of a special district, and so when you sign your employment papers, one of the things you do is sign an oath um, that you will report as a disaster service worker. So part of that is we would expect people to provide that information so we can reach out to them. But if they choose not to, then what we say is then the onus is on you to respond to us. If if a major disaster happens, you have to reach out to us and go through your supervisory chain. Um, the other thing that we use as a little bit of a hook is if we had such an issue, 
and we needed to get you information about benefits or um, payroll or whatever the issues were, that's, we're going to use that system. And so if you're not checking, your, if, you're not, if we can't reach you, then how are you going to get that information? So then the, of their benefit as well that we have that information so we can get that out to them as quickly as possible because snail mail may take too long to get that information right. out to them. Well, that that's a good way of doing it because you're 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 giving people awareness right up front. Even when yeah. they you start talking, well, how is it? You you start having that conversation about business continuity and emergency response, et cetera, as soon as a, someone's getting hired, which is exactly. a perfect time to start. Rather than you know they're there for months and then you give them a pamphlet. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, I really like that. Uh, now, how about? Telling us exactly what East Bay Mud does. You know, I know in my introduction I talked about waste management, and you know, I'm sure some people, you know, have visions of that. But right. you know, I'd rather hear what does that really mean. You know, what what does East Bay Mud do? So we provide water and wastewater services for um, Oakland and the East Bay, and we're one of the larger water. District. So our goal is to provide high-quality water and wastewater services at a fair and reasonable rate for the people of the East Bay. But we have a we own a lot of land, so we have um, Pardee and Comanche reservoirs um, that are our primary source of water, and then we have aqueducts that come all the way from um, so miles away down through the East Bay and through five water treatment plants that then. Um, convey that water to our customers. Um, and then our wastewater treatment plant is located in Oakland, and it serves a smaller population of the uh, East Bay, but um, it's also a critical service. So most people, you know, they don't think about their water and wastewater. They go and turn on their sink, and it works, and everything's just fine. Um, but that, in an emergency, it's critical infrastructure. You can live without power for an extended period of time, but you sure can't live without water. And um, and if you flush your toilet, you want it to go somewhere. So um, we're considered essential services in that regard. And I don't know, Nelsie, if you wanted to add some more to what, what I described. Yeah. So as Julia mentioned, so we collect our water from the Sierra Nevada Mountains. It's a, a river called McCullumney, and our first two major reservoirs are Pardee and Comanche reservoirs up in like Ione area in the, in the mountain foothills. Um, so as Julia mentioned, we, the water we collect there um, from Pardee Reservoir travels for 90 miles in those large um, diameter aqueducts. Those are about, you know, they're, they're like six feet tall, so six, seven feet tall. So people can stand inside of them huge pipes that deliver hundreds of millions of gallons of water a day to the East Bay area. Um, and then we, we operate Comanche Reservoir. One of our big components is we're, we're environmental stewards also. We protect the environment that the water travels through its natural path to the bay from the mountains. So um, Comanche, we operate as a flood control dam, um, and that means that we use it to feed the river so that the fish, the native fish populations can continue their life cycle and that um, water districts below us on the river can pull their water too. So um, from party, once the water gets to the Bay Area, as Julia mentioned, we treat it um, to the highest standard um, and then we distribute it. Our distribution system is 4,200 miles of pipeline. So we are talking from California to the East Coast and then halfway back, that's how much pipe that we have to maintain every day. 
So a lot of our operations is um, maintaining those pipes. Some of them have been, been in the ground since World War II. Um, I, we've heard rumor of, but we don't know. Um, it's not on a map anywhere that there are still some original um, wood pipes out there. That they, they were just like hollowed out trees that were originally laid out when California was first established. Um, so we maintain those pipes 24-7. Um, we uh, replace pipelines and in an area like, uh, like where we are, where there's a, a a ton of, of variances in the topography. We have hills, we have flatlands, we have very curvy streets. Um, replacing pipelines is a big deal. Um, we have, you know, various elevations, so we have to plan for all the pumping that needs to occur. Um, and then on the flip side, after you've gotten this great fresh mountain water and it's going down your shower drain, on the flip side, we take that wastewater and we treat it so that it can be cleaned and it go back out to the, to the San Francisco Bay without having any ill effects on the biology and the environment there. So we're really kind of protectors of the entire water cycle as it goes from clouds to snow to mountains to rivers to creeks, to the bay, and all over again. That's going to be quite the challenge, because I've been to San Francisco, and I I know there's, you know, those twisty, turny roads going up and over the mountains. So if you've got pipelines doing that, that's got to be really tough to maintain. You you must have, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, people taking care of that, and Lord forbid that there's ever kind of a disaster with any of that stuff. Yeah, we have have 200 folks that are doing that every day, uh, managing the repairs in the field and and handling the upgrades to the pipe. Right, and we have uh, thousands of main breaks a year. So we are doing this around the clock. Um, and in a, in a major emergency, like in our area, we'd be most susceptible to earthquake. Um, we do expect thousands of main breaks and, and people to have to wait for weeks, maybe months, to get the pipe in their street fixed. And without your pipe, that means that you're not getting water from your faucet. It means you have to have bottled water at your house. And we get this question a lot, will we bring you bottled water when your pipe is broken? No, our responsibility is to fix that pipe. We can't make grocery store runs for everybody. We have to be in the ground fixing all of the breaks. It would be nice if we could, but we can't. <laughs> exactly. We would love to. You know, when we can't, when we when we are able to, when it's a major outage and we can, we do have someone who can make a quick store run, we do try to provide that. You know, we have a lot of elderly people, a lot of people who live in very hilly areas, um, and it's, it's a big burden to them when you don't have water. We understand that, um, but but really, our primary focus is to get those pipes fixed and the the roads cleared so that regular life can resume. And we do work with the cities and the counties on getting points of distribution for potable water in a major regional disaster. So we're trying to make sure that we can support them so that they're able to provide that water to the residents if we had a major regional disaster like an earthquake and they can get that out to them. We recommend that our customers have up to seven days worth of water because by that point, hopefully the cities and counties have set up these points of distribution so that you can come and get water at uh, like a community center or a park or something like that. And I want everyone to know out there that I actually have liters of water here in case I do have an emergency at home. So I'm taken care of. Good job. (laughs) It will not be in vain. (laughs) 
<laughs> so on that note, we're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back with uh, Nelsie Rodriguez and Julia Halsney from East Bay Mud. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit voiceamerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. Voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. Voiceamerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state of the art viewing experience, live and on demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. Voiceamerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. World. Visit voiceamerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. Voiceamerica.tv. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today we're talking with Julia Halsney and Nelsie Rodriguez from East Bay Mud out in the uh, San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Berkeley area. And in our last segment, we talked about all the things that East Bay Mud is responsible for and what they do. And in this segment, we're going to talk about how they built their program. You know, it obviously with what uh, was described in the last segment, there's a lot to look after and a lot of different facets here that, um, as I said in my intro, a lot of people may not be thinking about. So, Julia, let's start with you. Uh, what, how, how did you get your program to where it is? You know, what, what is it you need needed to do? Because you, you said in your introduction that you had recommendations, you know, so what kind of things do you think the, the program needs and, you know, how did you get it to where it is today? So, um, we had business continuity plans starting in 2001, um, but it was decentralized and it was, we had a template that everybody was supposed to fill out, but they were kind of left to their own devices as to how they did that. And there wasn't a lot of structure around it. And then when they created my position, one of the things that I did was centralize that um, and then look at the content and how it was structured so that I could provide better guidance to the folks, the work units who are responsible for it. So we have currently 23 business continuity plans that support our program, and they're broken out by uh, work unit, and it depends on how complex that and autonomous that work unit is. So, for example, we have one for our whole wastewater department and one for our whole engineering department, but then for operations and maintenance, we have one for every division. 
And then we have separated one for our human resources folks and one specifically for other work units where it really makes sense to have that cut. Um, and the plans themselves, we we really revamped them when my project came into being and my position. It, it was after Hurricane Katrina. That was a huge wake-up call for us because what we saw was the way that they um, responded and the systems and backup systems and the plans that they had really did not serve them well. Um, and I, mm-hmm. we know mm-hmm. our, our customers and the community would not put up with that um, if we failed. And we didn't want to look like the Keystone Cops. We wanted to look like responsible uh, stewards of our um, our mission. So, so that was a big push. And I have to admit, a big part of this was I had senior management support and the general manager's support and the board support, and without any of that, none of this would have happened. They really saw this was important. They really wanted to make sure that it was um, a priority, and it was added to our strategic plan, and we had policies and procedures that were drafted around it, as well as we had key performance indicators where we had metrics we had to meet, and managers' bonuses were tied to that. So it was important. So it got all the way down to performance planning and appraisals, and um, that helped give us a hook. So um, I think without the manager support, without the general manager support, um, it wouldn't be where it is today. And um, I think we have a very mature program. I'm very fortunate. I have 23 people that support me, but they all have full-time jobs doing other things. And so I'm always kind of asking them, okay, what about this, and how do we do that? And we have a full-blown exercise and training program that we hold people accountable for as new employees come on staff, and how do we do that? And then um, we're very well integrated into our emergency response and emergency preparedness program as well. Um, I'm integrated into that program. Nelsie's on our emergency operations team. Um, We have pre-designated people, I'm on that team as well, and we practice that. And we've done everything from even practicing a succession plan for our board of directors as well as exercising their alternative work locations. So they are involved, and everybody's involved at all levels of the organization. Wow, there's a couple of spots there. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> you know, so, much inf- so much good information there. Um, one, I do just want to comment that, you know, the support from the upper levels is key. And for you guys to have that, that's just great. That says a lot about the people that are running and responsible for East Bay Mud. You know, that's just fantastic to have. There are so many companies and some that I've even worked for where it's really a, um, you know, devil may care attitude type thing. It's more of a tick box on an audit report. So, right. you know, fant- fantastic to all your leadership. That's just great. The 23 uh Units, uh, business continuity plans you mentioned, do are they all you know standalone or do they kind of cross reference each other depending on the situation? Because you mentioned testing, so I'm wondering, you know, do you uh, if they reference each other, do you test in in the silo like we're only going to test this BCP plan or do we test you know uh, everybody in, in, under this scenario and see what happens? You know, how do you, how do you manage that? So that's my job <laughs> is to integrate those. So they are created independently, but my job is to roll them up. So our template is actually pretty old-fashioned. It's Word and Excel together, and I take those 23 plans, and what I do is look at dependencies upstream and downstream, 
And mm-hmm. then I, we're very IT dependent. You know, when Loma Prieta hit in 89, we didn't have as many technology issues as we today. You know, we have smartphones and we have this web application and that cloud application and all these things where we didn't have that. You know, we even had a mainframe way back when. So it's my job to make sure that I look at each of their recovery time objectives and what what's upstream and downstream, making sure that we've accounted for those. And if they have, you know, if the business unit has an RTO of 72 hours, but IT is saying they're not going to get it up for 30 days, then it's my job to say, okay, well, what's the mitigation plan and what do you have as a backup? Do you have a standalone on a laptop that you're going to use, or how is, how is that going to work if, if the server goes down? So um, a lot of that is my job to integrate those, communicate those dependencies, make sure when we have those exercises, whether it's a tabletop or a functional, that all the stakeholders are in the room so they're aware of what the assumptions and expectations are, and then we can troubleshoot and look at gaps and vulnerabilities and work through those. So do you do all kinds of testing, you know, tabletops and, you know, real simulations, you know, or or just components, uh, you know, everything from evacuations to, you know, recovering a server? Do you you try cover all that? We do. So our part of our key performance indicators are every business continuity plan has to be updated every other year. The, um, The plans have to be exercised every year. And so we work with the business unit to see what do you want to test this year, what's your approach, what are your objectives, what are you trying to do, and then how are we going to integrate the right stakeholders into that. So some are more mature than others, some are more critical than others. Um, so depending on what what their business focus is, then we will target those high critical business functions first and look at how we can do that. So we do alternative work location exercises. We do IT system failures. We do, um, we're integrated with emergency preparedness, so we do fire drills and that kind of stuff. We do emergency communication drills four times a year. Um, and we have a call center and a dispatch center, so we act to, those guys are need to be up and running fairly quickly if we have a major regional disaster. So we practice with them as well and integrate them with the emergency operations team to make sure, because communications are going to be huge, whether it's coming from mm-hmm. the field, our customers, uh, internal, that's going to be a big issue for us. So we want to make sure we test that every exercise. We always look at communication. Right, and you, may I add, when, when Julia talks about exercising these things, we're talking about full-scale simulation. Like a year or two ago, I can't quite remember, we were simulating what a major earthquake would look like in the East Bay Area and how we would house um, mutual aid from other water districts from Los Angeles and Las Vegas to come actually live on our reservoir while they helped us rebuild our pipes. So we took, I think there were, what, 80 people involved yeah. in practice. 80 people. We went to the reservoir. They erected these te- these tents. We set up fake cots. We, we got the oh, wow. food. We had the full-on meals that people would eat. We Everybody had to bring their laptop and try to access the servers. Uh, the, our plumbers were there. A whole um, plumbing yard was there to um, show up and test out this equipment for us. We had status meetings in between. Um, we, we mocked fake phone calls from elected officials, from the press. Every bit, everything, <laughs> every detail that we would face in reality was thrown at us to see 
how would we handle it in real life scenario? If I can't get onto the server to start writing notes for a press release, uh, do I have a pen and paper? Is there, you know, like, is that even on my person after this major earthquake? Um, how am I going, am I going to have enough food to eat? What about after day three that I've been coming to this camp um, and I haven't had a shower? What will that look like? How will it be? How am I still going to get my job done? So these exercises are, are they're intense. We just did one last week, actually, um, and we were simulating uh, what would be, it was looking ahead, it was a major storm system, and then what would, what if one of our dams was um, compromised? And so these are very intense exercises. They take a lot of people, and we do a lot of talking about what went, what worked, what needs improvement, where we have these gaps, and how we'll be able to fill them in real-time scenarios. So we do, do, do a functional little... exercise every year with the emergency operations team, um, and that, um, that again, it has support directly for management. They... It's one of our key performance indicators. We have to do it. And so we report to the board on how did that go and what did we learn and um, what, what are the next steps. Right. And then we, so, we report it to our internal audience, too, with our employee newsletter as a reminder that when, if and when this does happen, you will be needed at work. And you may not be doing your normal job if you're an accountant here, if you're a new business um, technician, maybe in the emergency, you'll be helping just to fill out standard forms so that we can get FEMA reimbursement. Or maybe you'll be disseminating door hangers to let people know they can or cannot use their water. So we we try to press this message as much as we can with these exercises to remind everybody who works at East Bay Mud that you will be needed here. Yeah. So is there a lot of planning in these tests or do you try <laughs> yeah. more to do it? Or, we, or is it trying just, more of a, you know, um, here's the situation, go? No, yeah. so um, so I conducted the last three exercises this, and um we just finished ours. I wrote the after-action report. It's in draft being reviewed, and we're starting to plan the next year's. So it takes a year because it's so involved in multiple sites and all kinds of different people are involved. We we have mutual aid agreements with other agencies, and so we invite them to attend. We might invite the city or the local fire department or somebody else to participate, depending on the scope of the exercise. Um, so we have all these folks to coordinate, pick a date, and, uh, you know, it's a big chunk out of people's time, so we need to make sure it's not a board day or some other day that's going to be a conflict. So, uh, yeah, we start planning a year in advance. Yeah, I I, I can imagine. I I remember a test. We had 170 people, five different locations in three countries. So (laughs) I, 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 I feel your pain. The, you touched on the emergency operations team. Nellie, I, I think it was mentioned you're a member of that team? I am. So our, our entire public what, affairs staff is, is a member. So, so we have a very team? small staff do? up here. So what we do, uh, we, I can talk about what we just simulated in the most recent um, training exercise, is um, we have our house operates, uh, our, the public affairs office operates under two um, scopes. So I'm on the publications press side. Like I said, I, I write for the for the district. I speak to reporters. I write for our employees. Um, and we have the community affairs side, which they're the ones who hold all the public meetings and basically are the liaison between the district and the public 
public when we have large scale like pipeline in- installations, projects that take months, big capital projects. So in our emergency training exercises, we assume those roles because um, when anything happens, we can get a full court press. The Bay Area press is huge. We have at least a dozen um, very strong journalists who cover us and, and you know, they, they because news cycle is 24 hours, they cycle reporters in 24 hours to keep up with the latest information. And something like water access in emergency is major information. So we enact what it would be like um, in this most recent one. We, we got fake calls from reporters. We got calls from uh, fake mayors. Um, we got media. Uh, we got um, comments on social media. Um, there were rumors. So we have to practice what it's like to, in, a, in, a, in an involving situation where we don't have all the facts, how we respond on social media, because that these days is kind of a conversation leader that drives press, that drives community officials. Um, people can put whatever they want on there without checking to make sure that it's true. And suddenly we have to do a ton of rumor control. So mm-hmm. how we would respond to social media, how we get information to our elected officials so that they can inform their constituents, how we respond to the press, what triggers a press conference versus um, a press release versus individual calls to the press. Um, and then, you know, and all of that, um, as we're just barely getting trickles of information because because in real life scenarios, it takes time for our crews to get from Oakland to Berkeley or from Berkeley to San Pablo. You know, that we're sitting in traffic like everybody else and we don't have lights and sirens. So there are moments that are taking away that for the public affairs office, it, those, those ticks are loud and resounding in our heads. But for our operations and maintenance crews, it's another minute that they're just trying to get to the scene even. So um, we, we practice on how we get information from our internal sources, how we coordinate that information so that we can send out one clear message to all of these people who are trying to get information from us, how we keep our board members updated because they are our bosses. They're the elected board. They represent the public and they want the information. And it's a juggling act and it can be very stressful, but, um, but it's very invigorating work. It's very important work how we translate information because we have a very diverse population, how we get that information out to people who don't speak English at home. Um, there's just a lot to think about. The so, other thing I just wanted to, be, oh, um, to add was we do follow incident command systems. So we do follow the National uh, Emergency Management System and the and, uh, NIMS and SIMS, so the state. So um, we have an emergency operations team that has operations planning, um, finance, and logistics. Um, we have one section that we have dedicated to public communications, but we practice that. And we train all our staff on incident command systems so they understand how that will work. And our field crews practice it daily because when we have a main break, PG&E might be on site for power, um, Telecom might be there, as well as police and fire, and so we need to have unified command. They need to understand the language and how that all works and how we would integrate together in an emergency because we don't want our crews going into a hole if there's still live power in there. So um, that's kind of the stuff that we work together all the time on and practice on a daily basis. Oh, that was... So detailed. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice all of a sudden. That was that was very detailed. That that's really interesting. So, 
with the emergency command, uh, sorry, it's the emergency operations team. Um, is there like a command center? Like, do you do you have those kind of things in place when it, when something occurs? Is that part of your testing as well? So we have a, a primary emergency operations center and then a backup center. And the idea is um, it's in our main administration building um, where we normally report. But if for some reason we weren't able to use that building for some reason, we have a backup at one of our hardened facilities. And then each of our critical facilities are considered incident bases, and so they're hardened or provided extra support as far as an emergency generator and uh, emergency supplies, whether that's uh, food and water but also for our crews, but also uh, staged equipment so that they can execute if they couldn't get back to our warehouse for some reason or there was a reason why they couldn't travel long distances. So we provide them backup equipment. And we also have a mobile emergency command trailer, which we can launch to key sites if we had a major main break or a project that we needed to support. And it has full workstations. We were able to get that um, trailer through a grant. And um, it's a really powerful tool, especially if the weather's inclement, because the crews can get in, and there's a restroom and a break room and workstations and wireless and all kinds of support. So it's like a mini office for them on wheels that they can use. Mm-hmm. So that's another tool that we have. Okay. that's uh, On that note, we, we have got to take our second break, and we'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Uh, our last segment, we're talking with Julia Halsney and Nelsie Rodriguez from eBay Mud. 
and this is uh, a, a fantastic conversation. I, I you know, I, I know from our break um, that the two can just keep talking, you know, about this. <laughs> but, but I've got to narrow 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 this last segment down a little bit. <laughs> um, you mentioned. Uh, when new employees start and you've talked about training and things like that. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, your awareness and training component of your program, because a lot of places seem to lack there and I'm getting the impression that yours is quite mature and really good. And I'm wondering if you can give us, give us some tips and some insight as to what you do to make that so good. Sure. So it starts the day of employment. So when they come in and sign their papers, they're given a lot of information. Of course, being a public agency, it's almost like taking a mortgage. So the stack of paperwork and information is a lot, <laughs> and it can be very overwhelming to a new employee. They're just trying to figure out what benefits they have, uh, much less, oh, my goodness, I'm an emergency responder. What does that mean? So um, we take it the next step. We give all our employees new employee orientation. So it's a day-long training. Again, they're learning all kinds of other stuff as well as emergency preparedness and emergency response. So we do give them a couple handouts so they can take those home and read them. Uh, one of those includes an, a frequently asked questions of what is a disaster service worker? What does that mean? The second is we give each of our employees a pamphlet that talks about how they can be prepared at work and at home so that they know that they have an obligation to report an emergency, but they will talk to their family about that because the last thing we want is for them to get deployed and they're having the conversation with their family as they're walking out the door. That's not a good space to be. So we want them to be prepared and their family to be prepared, especially um, if they have family members that are dependent on them they may need, they may not be able to get home right away and maybe they have a teenager does a teenager know how to shut off the gas at their house um do they know where the emergency supplies are do they have a communication plan so that that way they can get a hold of each other some people work in a different area than their kid goes to school, right? So how is that going to work and um, how are they going to get back together? So having those conversations ahead of time. And then each supervisor is responsible for providing basic orientation when a new employee comes on their staff, whether it's an internal transfer or a new employee to the district. They need to go over with them. What's the expectation in an emergency as far as a communication plan? Do they self-deploy? If they self-deploy, what is the criteria? Because only certain people have a self-deploy requirement. And then what training are they required to have? So everybody needs to go through emergency communications training. How, How does that work? How do they check in that process? And then... The other piece of it is um, they need to know incident command systems. So the bulk of our employees go through incident command training, whether they're an accountant, a plumber, a manager, a supervisor, it doesn't matter. Everybody goes through incident command training so that they understand what to expect in an emergency and how the district will perform. And then depending on their role, they might get more training. So they could have training on... um, higher levels of incident command system, and um, depending on their position, they might have position-specific training. We do have the robust exercise program, so we like to engage our staff at all levels in that, and that helps reinforce some of that training. And then 
We have emergency preparedness training that goes out to each division and section um, based on their unique needs. So it might focus on one specific topic in business continuity, or it could be on personal preparedness or something else, or depends on what that work unit um, wants to focus on. And uh, we have what we call academies where we will go through a certain work unit and hit every single section within that work unit to make sure that we've hit all those employees on key topics so they understand what would happen in an emergency, how to prepare themselves, how to make sure they have a go kit at work and at home, that kind of stuff. So your awareness and training isn't just, um, you know, this is what we do, your employer, and this is what you're supposed to do, but if you experience something at home, this is what you should do. Right, because mm-hmm. we want to make sure they're prepared. And then Nelsi does a lot of good stuff with internal publications. We have an internal newsletter, and so she'll publish articles. And we try to focus it around, you know, like September emergency preparedness number, uh, preparedness month or um, the anniversary of the 1906 earthquake, try to make it relevant. We also do a lot of lessons learned. So even if an event doesn't happen at the district, we may hear about, you know, like Flint or um, there was a chemical spill in Virginia where they didn't know what the spill was and how did they respond and what are those lessons learned? We take that back to employees and talk through, well, this is how the district would do it. Um, and we pick different scenarios. So we could do a pandemic response plan. We could do a power outage. We try and make it real so um, it makes sense to people and it's not so far-fetched. And earthquakes kind of hard because they don't happen every day like if you lived in tornado country, right? So you know that they're going to happen every year or, you know, you have these, these events that are cyclical. Earthquakes could or couldn't happen, and and you may be at work or you may be at home. So we try and make it as real as we can. Well, that's great, great stuff. I I can tell you two are both passionate about this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're we're almost out of time. We just have a couple of minutes left. I'd like to get some closing remarks and thoughts from both of you. If you, I can give each of you about a minute or so, you know, um, Nelsie, let's start with you. You know, do you have any closing thoughts or, or tips that you would like to communicate regarding emergency response or business continuity to our listeners? Um, sure. I mean, you don't need to, I mean, you can open any newspaper at any point these days and see that disasters happen everywhere all of the time. So it is always important to keep this part of your conversation and uh, make just make people aware that you, that you need to prepare yourself because you will be needed to work. Um, one of the biggest crippling of, uh, side effects of a disaster is the loss of business afterwards. So um, it's vital that people protect themselves. So keep talking about it. Talk about it all the time. Okay. And Julia, how so I would, would you like to I would add to that um, really... You know, um, my job is to to provide value not just in the big emergencies but also in the day-to-day business. And so I look at ways to integrate this. We're having, for example, we, we have a big baby boom retirement bubble happening here. So we need knowledge retention. If there's one guy who knows how to do this critical function, it's not written down anywhere, nobody's trained on it, cross-trained, that's a gap. So we look at it. You know, how can we improve the day-to-day business? You know, if two people are doing the same thing and, and it's redundant work, does that make sense? What, how can we make it a better functioning organization? So it's not just for the emergency, it's knowledge retention, it's cross-training, 
um, all of that good stuff. And and I would say there's a lot of resources out there available to you. You can, you know, go to ready.gov, FEMA.gov, all kinds of wonderful resources available, but also your network. Get to know people in the industry. Talk to them. They are happy, like just like Nelsie and I, they're passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. So um, reach out to them. They'd be happy to share information and work with you to solve your problems. I think that's a great way to, to close it, you know, that we all work together. You know, we all want to help each other when something happens. I think that's a great, great comment to end on. So I'd like to thank both of you for joining us. You, I can, Like I said, I think the passion that you both have for this certainly comes across in you know, what, what you do there. And big uh, applause to your support you know, team up above who are you know, behind you all the way and where you stand on your programs. It sounds fantastic. I'd love at uh, some point to maybe have uh, both of you back on the show again because you know, I can – Certainly let you guys talk. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's more you'd like to talk about, <laughs> which is fantastic. Sure, absolutely. So thank Happy you. Thank you very anytime. much for being on the show. Thank you. And to to everyone listening, well, you're very welcome. Uh, to everyone listening, you know, if there is a subject you'd like to talk about or have someone else come on the show and talk about, please feel free. Send me an email at info at stone-road.com with your ideas. And, you know, um, maybe we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone to come on the show and talk about what it is you're looking for. Uh, Otherwise, in the meantime, thanks everyone for listening. Stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.